Today is the last week of our Wanderlust series. And Wanderlust just is a word that means a passion for the journey. A passion for the journey. God has us on a journey. In fact, God wants us constantly moving forward. This is the theme of every week. God wants us to, to grow and to mature and to sometimes you know, stretch for the goals that he has for us. And his goal for us is pretty lofty. Romans 8.29 says this, God predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He calls us to live like Jesus. Now that's a lofty goal, so we put it in bite-sized chunks that by God's grace and by God's spirit and by the encouragement of God's people, one another, we can live a little more like Christ tomorrow than we did today. So that's our goal, just a little more like Christ tomorrow than we did today. A little more loving, a little more giving, a little more serving, a little more kindness, right? That's our journey towards the likeness of Christ. So we've talked about for five weeks our own personal journey towards the likeness of Christ. But for the final week, we're going to talk about our global journey towards the vision that God has for all of humankind. All of humankind. Now, what's the destination? Again, it's lofty. Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 says this. God's will is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's a doozy. God's goal for us is for all of humankind to be together under the headship of Christ. Everything in heaven, everything on earth, together under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. That's a lofty goal. And some of us might say, well, that's just not possible. Well, it is possible. We're going to talk about how that's possible today. You see, God's passion is to bring this world together, to bring this world together. And when we've had a week like we've had where, you know, our country seems to be tearing apart and divisions seem to be increasing, we can sort of lose this passion, but we can't lose this passion. It's a bump in the road. It's a bump in the road. We're going to get through it and we're going to continue this journey towards bringing all things together under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. But these past nine days have been awful. You have a week ago Friday, a terrible group of punks and thugs. They're, they're not good. They got together with torches for a very specific reason that harkens back to the worst, some of the worst of our, human, of our history in America. They are passing by places very intentionally, s- chanting Nazi chants. Nothing good happened last Friday night. Then Saturday morning rolls around, a week ago Saturday, and then there's a clash in the streets. And you've got the protesters and counter-protesters with shields and bats and violence emerges culminating in the terrible violence of a very disturbed person running over a crowd, killing a person um, tragically. That was last weekend. And then there was yesterday. Yesterday, the the media was kind of hyping up, is there another clash coming? And fortunately, it was a wonderful, beautiful, peaceful rally. You've got about 20, I don't know, tens of thousands of people gathering in, in Boston and marching toward the Boston Commons. Now, these are folks that are rallying for peace and for racial harmony and for justice. And they're marching towards the commons where there was a a white supremacist um, rally of about 20 people and just bad people. Now you can imagine they look a little scared in this picture for a good reason. There's 20,000 people marching their way, one per thousand. And so they did what they should have done and they ran away and and good, good for them. And hopefully this is the last we'll hear of that group or any group like it. So I want to ask you a question. If you lived in Boston yesterday, which rally would you go to? Hopefully every single one of you would say, well, I'm not going to the rally in the commons with the 20 people. That's horrific. And some of you might say, well, maybe I'd join the 20,000. But most people 
would say probably neither. And I understand that. And I had to be honest with myself as I was asking that question. If I lived in Boston, I wouldn't have gone to the rally. First of all, I don't like traffic. I don't like crowds. I'm a tad claustrophobic. I just don't want the hassle of it, number one, right? And then you just don't know what you're going to get in there. And I don't, am I going to, is it going to be caught up in violence or weirdness or whatever? So I probably would have stayed home if I was honest, right? But here's the reality. The reality is the church, particularly the evangelical church, remains largely silent about something God is deeply passionate about. We don't want to join this rally or that rally. We may not consider ourselves to be activists. And so the church, and I'm talking about church leaders as well, remain largely silent about an issue God is fiercely passionate about. Now, on the side screen, I want to just illustrate why this might be the case. Now, we're going to have a mature discussion here. And when I mean discussion, I mean me talking. <laughs> so mature discussion. It'll continue online and social media, and I'll get emails, but follow me here. We are the divided states of America. We are blue and red, left and right, donkey, elephant, Democrat, Republican, and that divide is getting more stark. And just lazily speaking, on the left, there is an advocacy for various things, advocacy for the poor, advocacy for diversity, for the environment, and for justice. That's just basically the left's priorities. The extreme left tends to be anarchists who burn down Seattle on a regular basis. On the right, there are things that people on the right advocate for, particularly the economy, freedom, defense, and a culture of life. Uh, people on the extreme right tend to be fascists, and those are the folks that we dealt with the last couple of weekends. Where does the evangelical church fall in? The evangelical church falls in right about there. Again, that's not scientific, but that's just by reputation. Evangelical church has aligned themselves with the Republican Party, and there's a lot of discussion about how that happened, why that happened, whether it was good, whether it was bad, or whether it was both. But evangelical Christianity is aligned with the conservative uh, political wing and shrinking. So this is where evangelical Christianity is heading, smaller and righter, right? That's the trend that's happening very, very fast right now. And that'll continue. And some evangelicals say, good, you know, we want to be a small kind of faithful remnant while the world you know, kind of collapses. I want to offer a different idea. It's not a different idea. I didn't come up with it. I'm going to blame Jesus. How's that? Here's a different idea. How about we consider ourselves not to be the purveyors of a political movement or not even to be the protectors of an evangelical movement, but to say we want to advance the cause of Christ. That's our mission statement, very intentionally so. The mission statement is to rally around the cause of Christ. So let me ask a few questions. Is advocacy for the poor right in line with the cause of Christ? Yes. Now, we can have a political argument about how to do that. If you're more conservative-leading, you will have an idea. If you're more liberal-leading, you will have an idea. And let's hammer that out. Let's have good, passionate, fierce debate about how to do it. But let's get in the game on how we advocate for the poor and the disenfranchised and the voiceless, right? Is diversity right in line with the biblical values? Absolutely. We'll talk about that really in depth here in a couple minutes. How about the environment? Well, God creates the earth, and, and he created the earth good, and he gave us to be stewards of the earth. And so, yes, there are political debates about, you know, conservatives have ideas, liberals have ideas. Have that debate about how to protect the environment, but let's get in that mix, right? How about justice? Is justice a biblical value? Absolutely. One of my favorite stories is when a religious leader was straining out gnats from his wine because the Bible says, thou shalt not eat insects. 
So he was straining out the gnats out of his wine, right? In front of everybody so they could see how religious he was. Jesus says, hey, buddy, you're straining out gnats but swallowing camels, you know, unclean animals. You're swallowing camels. Why? Because you're neglecting faithfulness, mercy, and justice. That's the most important thing. Not strict adherence to religious law, but justice. And, and so there are things we can't embrace on the left, and there's things that we may not be able to embrace on the right, right? But, but there is a wonderful, reasonable, good discussion to be had among the vast, vast majority of Americans, of citizens, and to say, hey, listen, we've got to be in that mix, especially in times like this where there is such division and sometimes chaos. Here's some good news. Seasons of division are very often the catalysts that create movements towards unity. And so we're not celebrating chaos and violence and tragically death, but sometimes that kind of chaos results in, in a collective waking up about what's going on, and then we get our heads together. And instead of you know, getting in, into our corners deep, with deeper division, we say, okay, enough is enough. We've got to get our heads together. And then to have the church not sit in silence in some corner but taking charge because the church has an incredible heritage of, of taking charge. The church led the way with the abolitionist movement, which resulted in the eradication of slavery in America. Um, the Christians led the way in the suffrage movement, which gave women the right to vote. So we don't have a heritage of sitting back in silence, going, well, I don't want to go to that rally or that rally, so I'm here. There's a way to go forward that is incredibly God-honoring, incredibly biblical, that advances the cause of Christ, but with a broader conversation, rubbing shoulders with people that we may not agree with on everything, and that is okay. That's actually good. It's actually very good. Here's the reality as well. Jesus came for the sole purpose of uniting a divided world. Jesus came to unite a lost world to God by the perfect love of Christ and to unite a divided world in perfect love for one another what the kingdom of heaven is all about, uniting men with God and uniting men with one another. It's about unity and bringing together. That is the cause of Christ. Revelation 7, 9 gives this great vision of what is to come. The apostle John saw this vision that before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. This is Jesus who gave his life for all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. That's the vision of what is to come. It is the love of Christ ruling and prevailing as, as the culture of the entire world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's where we're heading. That's where God is taking us. That's the journey ahead. So this, this bump in the road in our, in our, in our community, and our culture, where there's racial division and violence and even death, we take that seriously and we say, we're going to use that as a catalyst to get in the game towards the vision that God has for us, a world of unconditional love. And that vision of love and sacrifice is really the core of the gospel. When we say gospel, it just simply means good news. And the good news is reconciling in love, bringing together in love. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and now gives us the ministry of reconciliation. By the love of God, he reconciled us to himself through Christ. Jesus gave his life to, to pay the penalty of our failing, of our sin, he, and did away with it, buried and gone. There is now nothing that separates us from God, nothing. He did it by his grace through Christ alone. There's nothing that separates us from God. So why should there be anything that separates us from one another? As we're reconciled to God, let's be reconciled to one another. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What's God saying? We are the ones who are now bringing reconciliation on the earth. We are the ones that have the message of reconciling with God through Christ. Believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. Believe he loves you. Believe there's nothing that separates you from him. And that moment of faith is what brings God's saving grace. And then let's reconcile. Let's, let's us be the ones to reconcile the world to one another in love. United with God and united with one another. But what gets in the way of our unity with one another, I, I just simply call tribalism. Tribalism gets in the way of us living in harmony with one another. Tribalism is loyalty to a tribe or other social group combined with strong negative feelings for people outside the group. Now, tribalism is in all of us, period. Tribalism is in all of us. It's not just an ancient concept or for you know, people living in, in, in a forest. Tribalism is in all of us. Sometimes it spills out in horrific ways, for example, with dehumanization. Dehumanization is on public display. Whenever uh, somebody considers other people to be uh, property or trafficked, that's dehumanization. Whenever we compare people to animals, it is dehumanization. Right below that, but barely, is superiority. This says, uh, my race, my ethnicity, my culture is a better race. Uh, this is where white supremacists, white nationalists fall in uh, to. Hopefully, there's not too many people here who are in these two categories. Uh, if you are, we have help for you. You need serious, serious help. Right below that is xenophobia. Xenophobia, we have to take seriously. All of us have to take xenophobia seriously. Xenophobia is the view that other races, ethnicities, and cultures are to be feared. Now, we might think, think okay, well, xenophobia is a big word. It says phobia. It's not for me. Well, we have to pause. If there is another ethnicity coming our direction and we think that that will bring harm, that's the very definition of xenophobia. And so we all have to just think. We all have to just kind of settle and, and, and do some soul surgery. Is there any xenophobia within me? It, we've got to go through that at least. Right below xenophobia is prejudice. Prejudice is absolutely in us all. It's preconceived judgment against another race or ethnicity. We do this all the time. Whenever we see a different culture, different ethnicity, do something different, we immediately judge. We don't do it overtly, but we do it in our hearts. Every single one of us does it. Why are they doing it like that? I mean, clearly, do it like this, right? It's just kind of obvious. We, we, we judge without even knowing we're doing it. It happens all the time. This is prejudice. And then there are also biases, and, and we all have our biases. This is, this is just giving preference for people that are just like us. Um, I'm in a lot of group settings that are intentionally diverse. And in those diverse group settings, um, there is multiple ages, equal group of men and women, and virtually every culture on earth is there. They're intentionally put together as diverse groups. And we have a lot of kind of, it's like think tank and just stuff like that that's, that's just really fun. But I caught myself one day tuning out when a group of Latinos with heavy accents started speaking. And, and the English they were using, I wasn't connecting with. The ideas that they were communicating, I wasn't connecting with. The accent was very difficult. And I found myself just tuning out and daydreaming. It's like staring off into space. A couple times I caught myself checking my phone. Like, what are you doing? Idiot. Get, you know, 
These are, these are people I need to be learning from, and I, I had to force myself to do what I should be doing, you know, which is to value and to pay attention equally. And so I had to start working. Then I got involved in something really fun, and that's judging everybody else for doing the same thing. That's the fun part. And it was happening back and forth with everybody. Everybody did the exact same thing. This is the bias that we all have. James, the brother of Jesus, and fiercely a Jew, and Jews by history are, you know, very much um, valued uh, who they were as God's chosen people, and they elevated themselves, right? And so James, the brother of Jesus, who did elevate himself as a Jew, said this in James 2.1, my brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ do not show favoritism. He's talking to himself, he's talking to his people, he's talking to the church, don't do it. And it's hard, it is really, really hard. And we've gotta take that seriously. So how can we walk a journey of freeing ourselves from biases and prejudice and xenophobia? How can we free ourselves from these things? Couple things, the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his followers. Jesus broke down barriers. Jesus lived his life to break down barriers. You can look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and you, can, and you can just look at what Jesus did to intentionally break cultural norms, even break laws, in order to break down barriers. He was going at it. He broke down the barrier between men and women, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, racial, ethnic borders. He tore it down intentionally. Jesus spoke to a woman in public that was foreboding. You don't do that? Well, he said, watch me, and did it. Jesus touched the unclean. He was not supposed to do that, did that in public. Jesus befriended and ate with those who were labeled sinners. And you can make an argument that when he started doing that, that was a shortcut to the cross. They were after him after that. Jesus sat down with a Samaritan woman, broke all kinds of cultural norms. She was a Samaritan. She was labeled a dog, right? And he sat down with her in public, and they shared cups of water and talked about life and built a relationship and a rapport there. He broke all kinds of rules there. Jesus went into the home of a Roman centurion to serve that family. You don't do that as a religious Jew. Jesus told a story that had the Samaritan as the hero, a story called the good Samaritan. Good job. Two of you got that. The Samaritan, the dog, was the hero, right? This person of a different ethnicity, different culture. Jesus equipped his disciples to make disciples of all nations and told them, be my witness in Jerusalem. Okay, Jew, no problem. Judea, good. Jews, no problem. Samaria, what? To the ends of the earth, you're kidding me. He said, everybody, this gospel, this good news goes to everybody. He broke down every barrier. Then he, he equipped his disciples to continue that. And, and we know that they continued that because we can study the rest of the New Testament, which we're going to do in five minutes. Right after the Gospels, you have the book of Acts. The book of Acts is this wonderful welcoming of all the world into the family of faith. The book of Romans unites the Jews and the Gentiles together. Romans chapter 1 highlights the sins of the Gentiles. And you could just imagine all the Jews going, yeah, you keep going with Romans chapter 1. Then he goes to Romans chapter 2, and he highlights all the sins of the Jews. And they're like, wait a minute, just keep talking about the Gentiles. Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're unified in our failure, and now let's be unified in God's grace. And so Romans chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6 talk about God's grace and God's saving work. The last half of Romans is about their life together now in unity. The book of Corinthians, as we already talked about, is a book of reconciliation, bringing us together with God and together with each other. The book of Galatians give this, gives this incredible crescendo of the gospel of grace. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. You're all one in Jesus Christ. 
The book of Ephesians brings the two together, Jew and Gentile together, building one new family of faith. Ephesians 2.14, Jesus Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is talking about race and ethnicity. Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. We have a tendency to consider ourselves better than others. New Testament says, no, just flip that. Consider others better than yourself. This is a tough one. I remember when I first started sitting down with intentionally groups of people of other ethnicities, I'm here to learn. They are so much better than me in so many ways. I'm here to learn and I'm here to grow. Teach me, teach me. That's a, that's a very enriching um, exercise. Colossians says there's neither Jew nor Greek, but Christ is in all and Christ is all. Hebrews is asking the Jews to settle down their xenophobia and to embrace the idea that God is calling us to live at peace with everyone. James says, do not show favoritism. Peter, who is publicly confronted by Paul for his racism, Peter himself says to the Gentiles, once you were not a people, now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Even Peter got it. Uh, John, uh, best friend of, of Jesus and a Jew, in 1 John 2, 2, says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. The book of Revelation, again, is a great, incredible vision of a world united in Christ. Because, Jesus, you were slain, you purchased men for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear and pretty exciting. God is in the business of uniting all of humankind with him, but also uniting all of humankind with one another. And it is not particularly easy to do that. It's not particularly easy because we all have this tribalism embedded somewhere in us. For some, it's overt, and they are, are the, the people who are hitting the streets and the white supremacists. Hopefully, that is, is just a, um, a light bulb that goes on. and says, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. There's more to be done. But I hear from a lot of folks, particularly white folks, that, well, it's gotten so much better. I hear that all the time. And that is objectively true. It has gotten so much better. But I want us to know, if we are coming from a majority white culture, I want us to know that when we say that, it is a little bit of a dagger in the heart uh, to minorities who are feeling uh, the reality that they don't have the same voice and power that the majority does. It's almost like saying to somebody who has cancer, hey, your tumor is so much smaller. It's like, okay, I, I get that. It is smaller, but it's a huge threat. You know, my treatment has made this cancer smaller, but there's still a ways to go. So the focus isn't on how much better it's gotten. The focus is in the work that's yet to be done. So, so what can we do? What can we do to be engaged to see to it that the cancer of racism and xenophobia and even the prejudices and biases that we all have, how does that keep shrinking to the point where it's eradicated from our culture, right? Uh, three quick bullet points and, and we're out. Uh, first, a few can march. Some need to start marching. And, and, and you might think to yourself, I'm not the marching type, and I get it, I'm not the marching type either, but I'm telling you, over this issue, I could see myself making a sign like this. It's just a cool little sign, right? Jesus himself said, love one another. And I could march with this sign, um, and I could start, I could walk. I could bring a couple of friends and say, hey, do you want to go cruise? and you want to start walking? 
And we can hold up this sign. It's a cool sign. And some people in the more conservative evangelical world will say, yeah, but what if I'm walking and here come some LGBT people walking with their signs? Like, ah. <laughs> oh, no, maybe we go, hmm. hey, you got a sign? I got a sign. Your sign is different. Hey, Jesus said this. Very cool. And I can love you and we're walking and we're all towards a common cause, right? Of, we're, of, of, of racial equality, harmony, justice. We're walking together. That's no, not a problem with that. I don't have to agree with everything, right? And cruise, cruise, cruise. Here comes the Black Lives Matter group. Oh, boy. You know, some of us are, some people in the evangelical conservative world, not real happy with that group, but hey, love one another. Of course, hey, let's partner up. Okay, get to know each other, get to know each other's stories, and we're marching towards the same cause. Is that a problem? It's not a problem. We're in the game, and, and we're a wonderful part of a community that's broader than our little silent cluster. It could be a lot of fun. Some people need to start marching. All of us can befriend. I uh, play golf just about every Friday, and, and this last Friday I had prepared this message, and I noticed something that I just don't notice on a regular basis. My foursome was a white middle-class Euro foursome. The group behind us was um, African-American elderly group. The group on the driving range were young Asians. And then there was a, another group kind of showing up that was all Latino, roughly in their 50s. And I just thought, this is the world. We just all cluster. We all love our little foursomes. And why? Well, you're spending five hours together and you're really getting to know each other, right? And, uh, and we just want to do that with people that are like us. It's hard to intentionally befriend people outside of our circle, but I think we need to do it. At work in your neighborhood, you know, where, where we normally gravitate is to sameness. Breaking through that is difficult, but I'm telling you, it's a ton of fun. And finally, the church can be the model. The church can be the model. I have the wonderful, wonderful privilege of looking at every face who comes to Rancho every week. And I have the same experience every single week, regardless of, of topic. I look around and I ask myself the question, are we getting more diverse or less? More diverse or less, right? Because it's a big deal. It's, it's a central part of God's narrative. And I am thrilled to be able to look around year after year and we, month after month and week after week and, and say, we are getting more diverse. And it's wonderful. And it's natural. And it's fun. We have rich, poor, male, female, people from every ethnic background, and it is becoming increasingly diverse. Our staff is becoming increasingly diverse. Our community is becoming increasingly diverse. And we can look more and more like the kingdom of heaven and just model that. And if, and if we as a diverse community can more publicly grab a hold of this issue and to say we're going to help to lead the way uh, in, in racial reconciliation and systemic injustice, and we're going to hear each other's stories instead of protecting my own story. And we're going to advocate for the person who's unlike us. Somehow, some way, God, lead the way on how I can be part of this wonderful journey uh, to have the world united with God and united with one another. Let's pray. Our God and Father, this is a difficult subject for a lot of us, but so clear in your word. Your word is so clear this incredible vision of, of all of humankind united with you by your grace and all of humankind united with one another in love. 
God, that's a vision, and we don't want to be discouraged by that. We don't want to think, well, there's no way that's going to happen, and, and just give up or remain silent. God, I pray that you would lead us individually and collectively on how we can participate in advancing the cause of Christ in this area. Racial reconciliation, ethnic unity, enjoying friendships and camaraderie that are, are natural and life-giving and fun and uh, learning from one another and, and bearing one another's burdens and celebrating one another's success. God, we thank you that the church can be a, a little microcosm of your global vision, that we even here at Rancho can enjoy a wonderfully diverse community of young and old, rich and poor, uh, of every ethnicity on earth, and we can enjoy our friendship with one another, our unity with you. We can enjoy the bond of love through Jesus Christ who gave his life to bring us to you, to bear our sins, to rise again from the dead, to give us this new vision of a new life and a new world ahead. God, we pray for our country. We pray for healing of the division. We pray that there would be a catalytic moment here where um, people would unite around a common cause, bearing each other's burdens and seeing to it that this cancer of xenophobia, preference, prejudice, even supremacy and worse, God, that that is eradicated and that what's left is a loving country, loving one another because of the love that you first have for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.